Good morning. It's good to see you. God has been so gracious to uh, Kay and I. We, uh, we travel uh, every week and doing what God has called us to do. And uh, one of the things that we're never, um, uh, never gets old is the appreciation that we have for Owasso First Assembly because you are our home church. And whenever we're not on the road, we're here. And uh, I, I know a lot of pastors a lot of men and women of God that are serving the church globally, and I have to tell you, and I, and I mean this with all my heart, our dear friends and our pastors, Pastor Bruce and Janet, are exceptional in their leadership, their humility, their integrity, and I just believe that we should give them appreciation for what they do and what they are into our lives and leading us, and we thank God for you. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Um, it's always a special privilege as you travel. Um, some say that I'm an evangelist. I don't assume that gift. I don't know really what role I serve other than the fact that God has called me to speak primarily to men. And uh, I love doing that. I love what God is doing and what I'm seeing God do. And, but it's just a humbled uh, honor for me to be here and at our home church to speak for you this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. I want to make a confession of faith over the ministry time of the Word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to communicate your Word. I thank you that you promised the prophet Isaiah that stammering lips will speak fluently and clearly. I pray the same prayer that Paul prayed, that I will speak clearly as I should making the most of this opportunity that my conversation is seasoned with salt. And I pray that you watch over your word, that your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent him. I thank you that you give us ears to hear your word. We receive and consummate the word to produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. I thank you in the authority of Jesus Christ. We bind any deception, distraction, or any disturbance from your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. We're in a, the series Galatians, and the theme is simply Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Last week, Pastor Kevin spoke from chapter 3 on the text that Abraham, by faith, was credited righteousness. Genesis 18 says that Abraham was chosen for the reason that he would direct his children and his children's household to keep the way of the Lord so that the promises that God made to Abraham would and could be fulfilled. The promise made to Abraham was this, that the seed, his seed, speaking of the Christ, would come to redeem his descendants, but not just his descendants, the which are identified as his sons and daughters, but through faith that all of the nations would be redeemed. All of the nations could be saved. All of the nations could be blessed. So faith would give the children and the children's children of Abraham directional intent so that the promise that God made to him could be fulfilled. However, his descendants... Those identified as Hebrews lost the heart for righteousness through faith. And 
they had to have a law established in order to give them a guardrail, as Pastor Kevin mentioned, a guardrail in our lives so that we're placed under a guardianship, which simply means that we're placed under the guardianship to be protected, cultivated, even empowered. But this guardianship is in place because faith was no longer being lived out. Abraham had two sons of lineage, the sons of flesh and the sons of faith. Pastor will speak on this primarily next week. The, the son of Ishmael and the son of Isaac. The point is, when the heart is absent, the law is required. I'll say that again. When the heart is absent, the law is required. What Abraham had by heart, by Abraham had faith in his heart to serve God, it required a law, a guardianship for his descendants to stay on course. So the Bible established 613 commandments. Men came along and wanted to add to the commandments of God, so therefore they added thousands of traditions that actually began to dominate the worshipers. Jesus said it this way, you have nullified the word of God through your traditions. Jesus not one time ever broke the law of God, but he constantly was going against the traditions of men. So laws were established. Just for example, the United States has thousands of federal laws and each one of those laws have approximately 30 regulations. And so, therefore, we have about 1 million governing rules of behavior here in America. Welcome to freedom. Pastor Kevin introduced the thought of the trust and that, that managed those under the law. So, the law becomes a guardianship for the descendants of Abraham until faith in Christ came. In fact, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was a guardian until Christ that might be justified through faith. So Galatians chapter 4 is our text, and the reason that we're given this text is Paul's concern for the Galatians is he says, formerly you did not know God. You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So as Gentiles, you and I are not under the guardianship of the law of the Hebrews. You and I were actually under the domination of false gods. As Gentiles, we were not under the law of God's word. We were under the domination of evil spirits. Miserable forces, earthly principles, carnal mentalities. He says, do you wish now to be enslaved by them all over again? You observing special days and months and seasons and years. And then he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And that effort is that in Christ you have freedom. The reality of this is haunting. The reality of this is haunting in that 
those who once knew the freedom of Christ would go back to the bondage that they were free from. This came close to home in my life a couple weeks ago when a friend of mine, an evangelist that I had mentored, that I had served on his board, that I had spent time and influence in his life, about two and a half years ago, his doctrine began to get sidetracked. I called him on multiple occasions. I dealt with him personally to try to bring him back to the course of true doctrine. He rejected my correction. And over the last two years, he went south on his doctrine, and it resulted in an affair. It resulted in drug addiction, and it resulted in dying last week. This is a reality of what happens when someone who has known Christ and yet wants to go back into the bondage of slavery. Paul's concern is that the Gentiles were being deceived like the Israelites who were set free from the enslavement of Egypt. God sent a prophet Moses to prophesy the deliverance and lead them into freedom. God works miracles to harden the heart of the Pharaoh in order for the Egyptians to give up their domination over the Israelites. The Israelites plunder the Egyptians and escape their enslavement. However, while journeying in the wilderness, they soon forgot the pains of enslavement. They felt the burden of freedom. The burden of freedom is this. It's the ability to make choices and decisions that determine your destiny. You have the burden of freedom, and that is the free will to live for God or reject his will. We do not live by fate. We live by faith. And as believers, we follow the decisions by the Spirit of God. The freed slaves soon forgot the whip of the taskmasters. When the steps of the, toward the promised land required patience, they began to long for what they had lost. They forgot the abuses of the Pharaoh. When they couldn't see the deliverer, they began to fashion a golden calf, wanting to return to the quickly, wanting to return quickly to the miserable forces of the false gods of the Pharaohs. They began to have nostalgia. I define nostalgia as an obsession for an unattainable past. They begin to look at the past with rose-colored glasses, and that's what a lot of people do. They, they are advancing toward God, but they begin to look at the life that they once had, and looking at the slavery, even beginning to desire the alternative to the burden of freedom. Their ingratitude toward God's rescue plan was seeded by their cravings of their stomach. Eating the food of angels became redundant, and they actually remembered the enslaved diet of the dictator, and they would rather have that than have freedom. That's what's happening in our culture today. Paul is concerned that the Galatians, as we should be concerned, we, that we may somehow forget the enslavement of what sin felt like. It begins with ingratitude. And even the desire that failed spiritual principles of domination. 
when we have cravings of sin and tempted to return to the sedation of pain rather than face the reality of our faith. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says, what, am I, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the time, set time had fully come, God sent a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our heart. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved to them again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Here's the principle. We're no longer slaves, but we are children of God. We are sons and daughters in a kingdom to do the work of our Father, not to return to the failed principles of false gods and be dominated by sin. We are not obligated to sin. Before faith in the substitutionary work of Christ, the law served as a guardian to keep you with directional intent. However, because of Christ, we're no longer under guardianship. Paul explains these elemental spiritual forces or these basic principles and elements of the world that they dominated us. And listen to me, domination is satanic. God gave man dominion over the earth. He never gave man domination over other humans. To understand this, look at the warning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. After Eve was deceived and Adam willingly rejected the word of God, the curse was pronounced. Here's the result. The snake would be reduced to groveling on the ground. The woman would experience pain and, reduction, and reproduction. The ground would resist Adam's stewardship and cultivation. Adam's work became labor pains daily. He would be forced to grind out a subsistence living. Shame and wickedness and sickness and disease and jealousy and hatred, comparison, depression, and even demonic possession, all carnal-mindedness began to govern mankind. The enemy of mankind, death, became the dominant. So within one generation, the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, rose up in their death spirit, and Cain killed his brother. The first murder was a fratricide, that a brother killing a brother, and it was actually over the offering of the Lord, judging and comparing 
even the giving to the Lord. Jealousy and comparison aroused a hatred in Cain. And in fact, he became dominated by the spiritual principles of this world. We were, in fact, enslaved. Jesus said it this way, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Galatians, or verse 4 says, when the right time came, God sent a son born of a woman subject to the law. Jesus literally humbled himself, becoming in the nature of man, and submitted himself to the very guardianship of the law to redeem us and free us from the law and free us from the domination of this world. He adds... Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. The Pharisees had been claiming that they were free and that they were, had never been slaves. So amazingly, the Pharisees somehow forgot the lineage where they came from and the exodus of Egypt and 400 years of slavery. They forgot the price that was paid for their freedom. And everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You can't claim freedom just through your pedigree. There are three failed approaches to God. First is the attempt to approach God through your pedigree. The Pharisees are arguing with Jesus that we have bloodline, we have birthright, we have blessing lineage directly to Abraham. They claim sonship by, not by faith, but by pedigree. Listen to me carefully. They claim sonship not by faith, but by pedigree. The apostle Paul argued that if anyone had pedigree, that he had it. That he was a zealot, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he could trace his Lineage directly to Abraham. Saul was an example of a religious man attempting to impress his way into the presence of God by credentialing. Not long ago, Michael Bloomberg in New York was being interviewed. He is a Jewish man. He was being interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, will you make it to heaven? He said, absolutely no doubt. No one even compares to me. The arrogance that he had was based on the money that he had given. He based everything that he earned heaven through his giving and through his pedigree. But Paul said that he, his pedigree was considered rubbish. He considered his pedigree in comparison to Christ as nothing worth comparing he actually used the word excrement. Everything that I've ever done, everything that I could possibly try to be is considered rubbish to what Christ has done for us. He was a zealot. He persecuted the church. Zealots are those who even feel an anointing to persecute or kill in the name of God. There's zealots today. Zealots don't start with murder. They begin with murmuring. Zealots murmur, and then they give birth to strife. Where there's strife, they invite every evil to work. When every evil is at work, tactics of manipulation begin to take place, and they sin in the sin of witchcraft, which is rebellion. 
And then the rebellion gives birth to destruction. You don't just start out wanting to be a zealot to kill people. You begin with a murmur. Paul testifies that his pedigree was rubbish. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Yet all of the, the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken. And I regard them as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. In other words, Jesus plus nothing is everything. We fail to reach God when we attempt to approach the throne on bloodline or by works. Whether you flog others or you flagellate yourself, you cannot earn your stripes. Only Christ and the stripes on his back on the cross is what pays the price for you not to be a slave, but for you to be adopted as a child. The second attempt to serve God is actually from distance. Exodus chapter 20 verse 18 says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't speak to God direct. Don't let God speak to us directly or we will die. It's amazing that most people don't actually want to hear God. They want to hear about God. They want to hear that someone else heard from God, but they don't want to spend time with God to hear him. They want to serve God from a distance. I deal with men, and a lot of men have the idea, the idea and the notion that they can sit at home, and spirituality is for their wife and for their children. And what they don't know is they are wrong, and they are misguided and deceived. You can't serve God through another person other than Christ. Amazingly, most men don't want to hear God. There are some churches that have decided they don't want to hear God. They relegated the work of the Spirit to the back room if they want the Spirit at all. Some churches have just decided that we want the form of religion, that we want the form of godliness, but we do not want the power of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 23 says, If anyone has ears, let them hear. Listen, if you reject the voice of God, God will reject hearing your voice. God is speaking. God is a speaking God. He is the Word made flesh. He wants to speak to you so much that He put flesh on His Word. The third attempt to failed attempt to serve God is compartmentalizing God into an idol of your own making. Crafting an image into an idol. I know this is still relevant because I've read posts on Facebook. Where people represent God, a God that I do not know. A God that I do not recognize. They represent his character. They represent, they say things that they heard from him that do not line up with the word of God. But they believe it and they are deceived. Many people want to compartmentalize God into a saint that they can fit on their mantle. They want a figurine that they can light a candle to that represents a communion of prayer. A saint on your dashboard will not protect you when you're driving down the road on 169. A saint buried in your yard will not help sell your, your house. 
Habakkuk 2 verse 18 says, What good is an idol carved by a man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish it is to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, Wake up and save us to speechless stone images. Rise, teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they're lifeless inside. Listen to me. Those who worship blind and dumb and mute idols become what they worship. They become blind and no longer enlightened. They become dumb. They do not have insight, and they become mute because they can no longer prophesy. This is why you should never, listen, this is why you should never assign spiritual authority and power to a Christian image. Even the cross or the crucifix do not assign power, do, do not assign spiritual authority upon your jewelry. It's not an amulet to ward off demons and diseases. We do not serve anything fashioned by our hands. You cannot confine God to your little trinkets. God will not be reduced to the image of what you craft in your imagination. It doesn't matter what your opinion is of God. What matters is what the Word of God says He is. My note said you would shout amen. Are y'all with me? I know, Kay, Kay is right now saying, tell a story. She says people want stories. But sometimes you got to lay some groundwork. Are y'all okay with groundwork? Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. I wasn't raised a believer. I was, I was raised a heathen. I was raised in a house of adultery and alcoholism and drug addiction. When I graduated high school, I took a job in a coal mine, and I was working at night, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Most of the men who attend Wednesday night, you, you hear this regularly. But it was a life-changing moment at 3 a.m. one night. I'm alone. I'm, I work isolated seven nights a week, 84 hours a, a week. And finally, one night at 3 a.m., I cry out to God. I'd never cried out to God, but my life had reached the point of desperation enough that I looked at the stars and I said, God, do you know me? God, do you care? And God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Someone said, well, did you hear his voice? I don't know if I actually heard the vibrations of his voice, but I know this. I know what his voice sounded like when he spoke. And he said to me, yes, Neil, I know you, and I know you by your name, and I've given you the spirit of a son that you may call me Abba. You may call me Daddy. What's amazing about that is I had not read Scripture. So you can imagine a few weeks later when I make a confession of Christ at a small and Assemblies of God church, and two weeks later I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two weeks later I'm called into the ministry, and the pastor Makes me the youth director. After one month, how many know this is not a smart plan? I'm reading the scripture, I'm diving in, and all of a sudden I read Romans and I read Galatians, and it says, I've given you the spirit of a son that you may call me Abba. 
You can imagine the change of my life of knowing that I could be set free from everything that bound my family and I could be a son of God. I wanted to serve God so desperately. God called me in the ministry. I had no idea what to do, but my pastor helped direct my steps and I went to Central Bible College in Missouri, and I began to attend. And I was attending a church, Calvary Temple, and the pastor, Pastor Phil Hasty, uh, became my pastor. I always, uh, one thing about uh, the track of my life, I always found a home church. Whether I was pastoring or not, I found a home church, and I committed to that home church. Pastor Phil Hasty brought in a tape. I believe it was a reel-to-reel. Some of the young people don't know what that means, and you can Google it later. But they brought in a reel-to-reel film teaching of Dr. Larry Lee, who taught from a book called Could You Not Tarry One Hour? How many of you remember that teaching? Just, just for a show of hands. Okay, many of you know what he was doing. He was challenging people to, to pray one hour. That is... And at that point was a concept way out of range for me. That that would be the equivalent of running a marathon, and that's not going to happen. And I'm, I'm thinking, how could you pray for one hour? But he taught as Jesus taught, and he took the Uh, The outline of Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, the Lord's Prayer, and not as a ritual, but as an outline to pray, and he said, this is how you can pray for one hour. And so the next morning I got up, I went down to the hall chapel, and I closed the door, no one else was there. It was a Bible college, I mean, what can you expect? So, So I'm in the little prayer room, and I'm praying, and I'm going out. I'm going, as Dr. Lee uh, said, our Father which art in heaven, and I begin to hallow the names of God, and may your kingdom come, and I begin to go through uh, asking God's kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and he's give us this day our daily bread, and I ask for all of the needs that I had to be met, and then forgive those who have sinned against, uh, against me, and man, that was a long list. Ask for forgiveness of things that I've done. I couldn't think of much, but (laughs) yield me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil. I went, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and when I got done, I'd prayed for five minutes. I'm like, what, 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 what was that? Neil, you're pathetic. So the next morning, I tried it again, and I, I began to go through the outline. I began to stutter. I began to stretch it out. I began to use the Lord's name as a comma, every other word. I tried to pray in King James English to just sound holier. I did everything I could, and I prayed maybe seven or eight minutes. I thought, I'm going to put in my hour, and I just laid before the Lord and went to sleep. Don't look at me that way. You've done it before. Come on, I've heard some people snoring in the altar. We're going to give an altar call in a few moments, and you can just come and repent. I thought, how in the world am I going to pray effectively if I can't pray this long? You know what I found in Romans chapter 8, verse 19? The Bible says that for creation waits for eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. 
And the creation is in a frustration. And likewise, we ourselves are in a frustration. And the Bible says the, the creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you know what that means? That means that, let me ask you this way. How many of you have, have actually been frustrated? Okay. As believers, how many of you have been frustrated by things that you see in the world? Okay, let's just be honest. How many of you are frustrated right about now? You know what? I, I can't watch the news without talking back to it. I've never lost a presidential debate. I look at this world and I am so frustrated. I'm looking at a world, it doesn't have to be this way. I'm looking at a world of confusion and chaos and I'm like, who is doing this mess? I, I was so naive as a child thinking that smart people led. Now I look and I, I have to be honest, I'm constantly on the edge of frustration. Frustration. You know what I found out? I found out that my frustration is holy. I found out that my frustration is a son looking at a world that wants, that I have the business of my father and my position is between heaven's will and earth's frustration. And my time in prayer is not just going through a ritual, but my time in prayer is appropriating what God said, this is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have to tell you that God is going to get his purpose finished. I love Proverbs 19, verse 21, that men make their plans, or you could say men have their schemes, but God's purpose prevails. What soothes my frustration is that when I see those that are kicking against everything that God says, everything that God wants, when I see those arrogant, bloviating fools get on TV and curse God, I'm telling you, they have but a breath. And the Bible says that every one of them will be forgotten. There will be a day that there are names that are in constant news today that no one will ever utter their name. In heaven, in eternity, on the new earth, you will not have, you will not have memorials, you will not have awards on shelves, you won't have memory, you don't have libraries, you won't have anything to recall some of the names that are so prominent today. No one will utter them because they are fools because they deny God. I don't know why I got off on that, but it's not good. Here's what I've learned about prayer. I, I learned it from my daughter, Courtney. We have three children, grown, married, bringing us the reward of not uh, punishing them too hard, and that is our grandchildren. We, we, we love our children. We love our grandchildren. All, and, we, you know, thank God Kay knew how to raise children. I didn't. 
But Courtney, Courtney, our youngest, when she was still in our household, it's really interesting now, and I don't know if this works for you, but if you have grown children, raising our children, the girls always called me when they needed something. They just called me. My son never called me. He called mom. Now that they're married, the girls never call me. My son calls me constantly. And I'm like, what switched? What happened? If I want to know something about the girls, I have to ask Kay. If Kay wants to know what's going on with Chase, she has to ask me. I said, what? why don't the girls call me? And she says, because you're not paying the bills. You're not buying them stuff. They're doing it on their own. They're, they have a husband. Well, when Courtney was still in the household, she came to me one day, and she says, Dad, I need a new iPhone. And I put on my fathering hat, and I said, no, 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 no. You don't need a new iPhone. You want a new iPhone. And she goes, yes, I want a new iPhone. And I know that you're a good and loving father who delights in granting the desires of our heart. <laughs> How many know that sometimes when you raise kids... In the faith, they can use the word. She, what was she appealing to? She wasn't appealing to what she deserved. She was appealing to my character. And my character is, I want my baby to have anything that she really wants. I really, really want her. I don't want her just to have her needs met. Not one time did she ever come and say, Dad, do I get to eat today? No, 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 that would be foolish. I would take her to the pantry and say, open that up. Look, I knew you were going to have hunger pains before you knew them. So I gave money to your mom, and your mom gave money to Walmart, and she filled this pantry up with food, and not one thing in this pantry is what I want to eat. This is all about you, babe. So it's not just about your needs, but... It's about what you desire. So, you know what she's doing when she's making the appeal? She's saying, uh, Dad, I want a new iPhone. And I know, that, I know that it'll delight you to do that. She's wanting to hear me say yes. Now, if I say I'll think about it, she thinks I'm speaking in tongues and interprets that as yes. Right? And she'll leave and come back hours or days later and say, Dad, where's my phone? She doesn't come back to ask me for the phone again. She just simply says, where is it? How many understand that's faith? Because she's not basing it on what she's done. She's basing it on who I am. And she knows that my character has to watch over my word to perform or I'm a liar. So she comes back to ask me, where is my phone? She can tell her friends, I'm getting a new iPhone. It's on its way. I don't know when it's coming, but I know this. I know my dad. Guess what? Baby gets the new iPhone. You know, when you go to your father, he's not just brushing you aside to say, you don't need that. There is a delight in him doing things in your life. 
especially in the area of frustration. When I was praying for you this week, I, I began to ask the Lord, what, what are people at Owasso first dealing with? And I felt strongly that it was about this. It was about frustration. It was about God needing to hear you speak to the matters of your life, speak to the matters of your family, speak to the matters of your finances, speak to the matters of what's going on in this world and say, I believe God is going to redeem this. Maybe the doctor looked at you and said something and diagnosed you with something this week and you're frustrated. And you've got to make a decision. Are you going to speak to the are you going to speak to the matter with faith? Are you going to allow the frustration to be a calling? Maybe your marriage isn't what you know it's designed to be. Maybe there are some things about your spouse that actually frustrates you. Maybe rather than murmuring and complaining, maybe it's a calling for you to pray. Maybe it's a calling for you to do something other than complain and gripe. Whatever you're seeing that's happening nationally and whenever you're filling up your gas tank, rather than griping, complaining, and be on the verge of cussing, maybe you ought to pray. Maybe you ought to have a calling to say, God, I believe that you're redeeming the earth. And as a child, Jesus said, my father is always working and so am I. And maybe as a child, it's time for you to say, my father is always working, and so am I. I know this is going to be a little bit different call, but I believe that the Spirit would have me do this. If you would agree and just say, Neil, I, I do. I'm, I'm on the edge. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm at my limit of frustration. If that's you, I want you to... Just stand right, right where you are. And I'm going to pray a prayer of faith with you. I'm going to be in agreement with you. Right, right now, if, if that's you, I'm going to pray with you. You look at the things that are going on. And you're just saying, no, this, this can't be. I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to continue to go down this way. I'm going to pray in just a moment. So if that's you, just, just stand. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for those that, st that are standing, I'm asking that you will reveal to them how they can speak to what has frustrated them and that the frustration could actually become a calling, a prayer, that they can begin to speak and believe and see your hand work miracles. Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with sickness and the frustration and the pain of sickness being constantly in their body. In the name of Jesus, I pray healing. You, you desire healing in their body. 
It's not just a need. It's a desire that you have for them to be healed. And of course, Father, for anyone that doesn't know you as Lord, I pray that today they would leave the enslavement of sin and be set free once and for all as a child of God. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Bible says that the prayer of faith is that you confess with your heart what you believe. You confess what's in your heart with your mouth. You confess it. You say, Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you're saved. You say, well, it can't be that easy. What else do I need to do? Jesus plus nothing is everything. Pastor God.